morning. 11.07. All right. Come on. You got your Bibles this morning? Grab those if you would. Um, I'll be I, I mentioned this to Chuck. I'll be honest. One of the, the secrets that pastors don't like to talk about is sometimes how difficult Advent season can be. Um, not, you know, I'm not talking about like, I'm talking about just our emotions, but just in the planning and the preparation of, of messages and all that kind of stuff, it can feel like we're kind of like, what do I say that's not already been said, right? And and we struggle with that because we, you know, we want to have fresh bread for ourselves and we want to have fresh bread for the church. And this 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 season is just, you know, the church is just dug so deeply into the well of the nativity story and the, the fleshly part of it says, I don't want to just tell the same story again. I want something new and fresh. I'll admit that that's a struggle. Um, and I, I'm not saying that I have any fresh bread at all for us today. <laughs> but I just I was just talking to the Lord about it. And, and a couple things that I've noticed is um, there is definitely an increase of pushback from the enemy during this season on my family and on the church family and probably on yours. Has anybody noticed that? I've noticed that there's a significant pushback from the enemy, um, if not to discourage us, then definitely to distract us. And both are equally deadly. Both of us will get us off course from things. You know, for example, you know, my wife and I, often in years past, we would sort of consistently read through some Advent devotionals each night. We've got a book, Christmas Tide, and we would read through, and it's this beautiful liturgy, and just, we've done nothing of that this year. Full confession here. We've done nothing of that, you know, and it's, I know exactly. It's like, is it even Christmas, you know? Um, and just sort of like just trying to get caught up in all of this stuff. And the beautiful thing, though, is that the Lord is reminding me that that kind of atmosphere is exactly what Christmas is even about. And, and, and that was the first Christmas. It was not um, a peaceful sort of saccharine time where everything was, was okay. It was dirty and messy. And it was, the, the culture was in, in, in tension and, and people's hearts were in chaos. And the whole story of coming down to, to um, you know, coming down to Bethlehem, even that was just, you know, unexpected. And I, the Lord reminded me he said, Brad, go back and look at the beginning. I said, what do you mean the beginning? Because I love beginnings. I love context. You know, like some of you remember the very first word of movies, you know, or the first word of, of books. The very, can you, can you tell me the very first word, not just of the Christmas story, but of the whole gospel, the whole incarnation story, the whole like pivot hinge of history where Jesus comes, the very first words of that whole saga. Can anybody tell me what those are? I'll tell you what they are. It actually happens in the book of Luke. And, 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 and well, let me just tell you a little bit about it. The very first words are two, three, depending on your translation. Four. Do not be afraid. Those were the first words spoken 
from a divine being to a mortal man that kicks off this whole crazy thing that we call the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That's wild to me. What? Because what it says is, is like, okay, the world is in a state of fear and chaos. God is about to break into that. And the very first thing that he says, guys, don't be afraid. Some things are about to happen that are going to change the course of human history. Don't be afraid. And I just think, okay, if that was what they needed then, how much more do we need it now? I need God to come into my situation and say easily, take a breath, take a break. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Don't get worn down. And the cool thing is, is that phrase, don't be afraid, is going to occur, occur four times to four different people all throughout. Essentially, every time God shows up to speak to somebody, he has to begin that way. You know what I'm saying? It's like he shows up to Zechariah. We're going to read that story in a minute. He shows up to Zechariah. He says, Zechariah, don't be afraid. He's going to show up to Joseph. Joseph, don't be afraid. He's going to show up to Mary. Mary, don't be afraid. He's going to show up to the, to the shepherds in the field. Shepherds, don't be afraid. Everywhere he goes, he's got to like, you know, put a little bit of a, a, little bit of a, of a, of a, of a blanket of comfort around people because people are about to lose their minds. And I feel like the Lord is saying to us, listen, I want you to move into this new year without fear, without condemnation, without guilt, with all these other kind of things. So that's, that's just a little bit of a, I want you to go back and read those. Go find those four instances where, where, where what I call the fear knots of Christmas. I think there's four of them in there. You can go back and read them. It'd be great this week to read through each one. Do one, you know, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, and that'll bring you to Friday. It's great devotional for your family. Read the first fear knots and talk to your kids about, you know, what, what is the fear? What fear is Zechariah happening, is, is he going through? What fear is Joseph having to face? What fear is Mary having to face? What fear are the angels having to face? And how, what does that have to do with us? That's not for today. You guys can go do that on your own. All right. What are we talking about today? Ah, uh, Lord, help us. Um, Luke chapter 1. Go there, if you will. So I, I, it's about 10.30 last night, and I'm sitting down and um, on the couch. Kids have been sick. The day's kind of been off, you know, just different things happening. Um, Megan was scheduled to speak today, and then Cohen and Lottie both got sick on Friday and then Saturday and Saturday afternoon when she makes a call, she said, Brad, listen, you, you, you take this. I need to stay home with the kids. So I'm like, okay, well, again, what, what's, what's the word of the Lord for us? Um, and he brought me to this story in Luke of, of the birth of John the Baptist, one of my favorite overlooked nativity stories of all time. I love this story. I love the characters in it. I love what it means. And I want to give you just a really a simple idea that I think is a word from the Lord for us. And it, it's, it's, it's really not so much about the birth of Jesus. It's about something else I think the Lord is doing. So in chapter 5, it begins this way. I want to read a little bit of this and then give some explanation and then kind of unpack a few things. And I'll watch our time. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. I'm reading from the, from the NIV version. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. 
His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. I was reading that last night. I felt like the Lord stopped and said easily, I want you to read that again. I want you to pay attention to what's happening here. And you'd be directed me to this, to, to, to think and to meditate on this. You've got a man who is righteous, who is serving the Lord as a priest. And he's married to a woman who is also serving the Lord, and she is from a priestly lineage. I love how the Bible gives such attention to the value of women. In other ancient writings and other ancient cultures, Elizabeth would have no purpose whatsoever. But in God's kingdom, she stands alongside of her husband just as qualified as he. She's standing there as a righteous individual. So I would say that they are both born again. Not in, don't, don't think of this as like the modern evangelical sense of word. They are both standing righteous before the Lord, but barren. That's an important distinction. They are serving God, but they are not seeing the fruit in their life that they want to. They're not raising up sons and daughters in the way that they want to. And I felt like the Lord said, Brad, that is a picture of the church today. Called by my name, the true church, called by my name, true church is righteous, serving me, but not raising up another generation of sons and daughters. A danger of being barren before me. I was like, well, what does that mean? And I noticed that these two are hungry for more, but they're discouraged and they're afraid that their time has passed. And I, I believe that there are so many in the kingdom today, in the church today, that are believing that very thing. You know that you're standing before the Lord righteous. You're serving the Lord as best you can, but you're afraid that your time has passed and you're wondering, where is the fruit of my life? You feel like you're barren. And it's almost like the church is experiencing this Zechariah kind of a crisis. Where we are, we are, we are, we are, um, you know, we we are aware of our own standing before the Lord, and year after year we sort of go through and we uh, we give to the Lord. But where is the fruit? Where is the, the the generational blessing that we believe God wants to do through us? And the first words I hear, the first words. So he's so there they are. They both are childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they're both very old. So the Bible goes on to tell us about them. So it says that one day, it's his turn to serve in the temple. Once when, verse 8, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before, the, before God, he was chosen by lot. So you got a whole lot of priests. Obviously, you don't need all of them to be in the temple, so they draw names, and whoever gets chosen on that particular day, you get to go in and minister before the Lord. So he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. This is a big deal if you're the priest. 
You prepare for this. You're aware of this. Like, you don't get chosen very often. There's a whole lot of priests out there, and it may be the time, you know, your division may be only like once a year. You know, if there's 12 divisions, you get the month of, of, uh, of December, you know, and only a few of those priests are going to have their name drawn. It's like a lottery. Who's going to be chosen to go in? Zechariah gets chosen. Remember, so his, his, whole, his whole mindset right now is, I am faithful to the Lord, but I am discouraged because I am barren, and my wife is barren. I'm being faithful and serving, but I'm not seeing the fruit of my life in the way that I want to. So the time comes and he's now standing before the Lord and um, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the, time for the burning of incense came, all of the assembled worshipers were praying outside. I think that's a beautiful thing too. You need to know that whenever, whenever you're pressing into the Lord for breakthrough, there are people who are standing on behalf of for you and with you and surrounding you. Even if it doesn't feel like it, you're not alone in that. You're not alone in your seeking, in, in seeking breakthrough there. So here we go, verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Y'all, that's a, that's a big thing. That's a big deal. I have never seen an angel. Some of you are seers. Some of you see in the spiritual realm. I've, I've talked to some of you, and you're like, yeah, there was an angel up there, and it was like, whatever, 15. I've never seen that. I don't know if my own mind could handle actually seeing a, a being of fire, a visible representation of the supernatural. He sees one. When Zechariah, he was startled and gripped with fear. Yeah, I bet he was. This is an old man. He runs a risk of having a heart attack. I'm betting this angel was like, okay, I got to reveal myself to this old guy. I got to be careful that he doesn't have a stroke on me because I'm about to blow his mind. He shows up. The angel says, what angel? Um, he was gripping. But the angel said to him, here we go. Do not be afraid. Y'all say it. Do not be afraid. Those are the first four words of the entire gospel story. The whole incarnation of Jesus begins with those four words. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Three words. Four words. However many they are, Brian. Can't count today. And God, God, God breaks into this situation and meets this old man and says, do not be afraid, Zechariah. And he says a few things. He, gives, he tells him five things, five realities that he's going to experience in the season to come. The first reality is this. Your prayer has been heard. Truth is, it never really says what his prayer was. Remember Hannah in the Old Testament, the, the, the mother of, 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 of Samuel? She too was in this place. She too was beloved but barren. She too would go to the presence of the Lord and cry out day after day after day. Her tears would just fall into that holy place. Something about tears, I think, that brings a breakthrough. He says, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. That's the first thing that he says. God is paying it. God has not forgotten you. You need to know that. You, need, you and I need to know this truth. The things that we've been crying out to the Lord for, God has heard those things. He is not deaf. He is not tuned out. He cares about the things that you care about. Your prayer has been heard. 
Second thing that, that, the, that the angel says is this, your wife is going to bear a son. And you're going to call his name John. I looked it up. Who knows what John means? Anybody here named John? His middle name is John, isn't it? Isn't it? No? No. All right. You ruined my illustration there. Just kidding. John means Yahweh is gracious. Our God is gracious. The angel says, you're going to have a son. Your old wife will conceive. You'll bring about a son. You're going to name him gracious. It's beautiful, isn't it? It also says this. Um, he will be a joy and delight to you personally, Zechariah. The fruit that God wants to bring about in our lives will be personally fulfilling. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. So not only will this son be a blessing to you, he's also going to have an impact. He also will have influence outside of yourself. Don't be afraid. Your wife's going to have a son. You're going to name him John. He's going to cause you and your family and your wife and all of those around you to be filled with the joy of the Lord. Fourth thing he says is this. He's going to be consecrated and filled with the Holy Spirit. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. That's, that's a reference to the Old Testament Nazarite vow. Certain young men... Uh, like Samson and others were, you know, they, they willfully chose to be consecrated in a special... All of, all of God's people are consecrated, but there was a select few that, that sort of, of their own choice, said, I want to go... I want, I want the Lord to have even more of my heart. And they would say, I'm going to say no to all the things that can give me pleasure. I want to say no to wine. I want to say no to all this stuff. You know, I'm, I'm going to let my hair grow long as a sign that, 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 that the Lord has the full right to all of me. He says, Zechariah, you're, he's not to take wine or any other drink. He will be filled, listen to this, filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. Man, doesn't that mess up our theology, Chuck? What in the world? Why don't we do that at baby showers? All right, we bring diaper trees, we bring all the stuff. Why don't we lay hands on that fat belly and say, Lord, fill them with your Holy Spirit right now. That's biblical, y'all. So we fill the Holy Spirit even before he's born. That's the fourth thing. He's going to be consecrated and filled with the Holy Spirit. The last thing he's going to, it says is he's going to He's going to, basically, he's going to be a forerunner of the, of the Messiah. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. In other words, says this angelic being, he's going to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's a bombshell to drop on old man Zechariah. 
His mind is spinning, you know. He's still getting over the shock of seeing this being in front of him. And all of a sudden, he's processing these words. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Hold on. Yeah, first of all, I'm still afraid. I'm still getting over the fact that there's an angel standing before me. And secondly, you just said we're going to have a son. My wife is going, have you seen how old my wife is? He's processing all these other things. These promises, these prophetic words about what his son will be and who his son will be. Let me make, let me make this observation too. Is that when we are in the posture of hearing and receiving, God will always come and speak. Zechariah was in a posture of hearing and receiving. If you're not hearing from the Lord, I'm talking to myself easily, if you're not hearing from the Lord, are you in the right posture? So, Zechariah's response is probably like you or I or many of us. Absolute doubt. Somebody say amen to that. This is what sets apart some of the men from the women in the, Old Te in the New Testament. The women are like, all right, so be it. God said it. That settles it. The men are like, I'm not so sure about this. We overthink. And so what does Zechariah say? He's like, ah, yeah, I don't know about all of this. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife, well, she's not exactly old, but she is well along in years. And I want to tell you, that makes the angel bristle. Because this is what he said. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. As if to say, do you have any idea who I am? Yahweh could have sent any other messenger to bring this news to you, but he sends the captain of all of the army angels of the Lord to bring this. Do you have any idea how important this message is? And you have the audacity to look at me and say, how do I know this will be? And his eyes are turning red. I'm making this up, of course. It's not in the scripture, but I have an imagination. And he said, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news, and all you can say is, how do I believe you? Are you out of your mind, Zechariah? And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Bam! And the last words out of his mouth for the next nine months have been one of doubt in the face of promise. He loses his voice for nine months because of doubt. That's not a funny thing. We laugh about it. We laugh, ha ha, Zachariah can't talk. That's not, that's, this is not a good thing. Nine months 
Some of you are thinking, I'd love to have nine months of silence in my house. But he loses his voice. And all he can do are signs, sign language, gestures and grunting and writing things out. I think the church, too, runs the danger of losing our prophetic voice whenever we respond to promise with doubt. And all we can do is grunt and make signs instead of having the freedom to speak. Imagine, had he not lost his voice, what he could come out and say. He comes out, he addresses the people, tears in his eyes, describing what he saw, describing the truth of what he said, describing what was about to happen. No, he's silent. And his wife then has the freedom to talk and to share, to tell the story. Doubt has the ability to silence our voice. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why this is important. These two are important. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. He's got, a, he's got an audience that's hungry to know about this move of God. What's happened? This is, you've been in there too long. Something is happening. It doesn't take you this long to, to burn the incense. Come out, Zechariah, and tell us. He says, when he came out, he could not speak to them. God wants to give us encounters, but he also wants to give us a voice. He wants to give us a prophetic word for our generation, but he also wants to give us the courage and the boldness to communicate that. But instead, his voice is silenced because of doubt. They realized he had seen in a vision, seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. Boy, if that's not a word for, our, for, for, for this culture, I don't know what it is. God has given us so many, so many revelations of who he is. But we are silent and unable to communicate what those are because we doubt what we've seen. We doubt what we've experienced. Let's fast forward some. Verse 57 of Luke 1. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, by the way, Elizabeth... She got to go minister to her cousin, Mary. She got to experience blessings and favor. When, the time, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Well, that's the first promise. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. You could also say, had shown her grace, because that's what her son's name means. And they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. Typically in Jewish culture, you wouldn't, you wouldn't name or circumcise the child for a few days after they were born. You know, often in, in our culture, we get names picked out even before the babies are born. You've already got it. You know, we found the right one that, that sounds the right way. You know, does, does Bradley and Cohen easily. Does that flow together really well? It's all about the, you know, the aesthetics of the name and how it flows. We don't think a whole lot about meaning. 
you know, and, and we've got the name picked out. We've already got it written up on the wall of the, of the nursery before, you know. But in Jewish culture, no, you don't do that. You wait because the naming of the child is a is sort of is a prophetic is a sort of a prophetic pronouncement upon them. You wait to see the circumstances of their birth. How are they born? What is their what is their personality like? What is what what's happening in the time of their birth? Because all that's going to influence the name of. The children, just like uh, Jacob, uh, Jacob and Esau, these two twins that were born to, to uh, born to Isaac. Jacob was named Deceiver because after he was born, he came out twins. One came first. Esau came first. Jacob came out with his hand on the foot, on the heel of his brother, as if trying to trip him up. And they saw that as an omen, and they felt, okay, well, listen, we've we've we've, we've got to we've got to got to give him a name that reflects the circumstances of his birth. We're gonna we're gonna name him Jacob because that means uh, that means you know one who one who deceives, one who trips someone up. So it says here on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. They were going to name him after his father Zechariah. By the way, she ate nine months of this. Nine months. My, I'm questioning. Okay, why in the world did Zechariah not say something before? I think he was probably ashamed. Probably ashamed of why his mouth was silent. So I'm not going to tell anybody. You kidding me? As far as I know, maybe I had a stroke. I'm not going to open. I'm not going to tell my wife that I doubted the words of Gabriel himself, and he punished me with silence for an eye. No, I'm not. So he like, for some reason, he doesn't say anything about what he was supposed to have named. He's not even acting in obedience. He could have come out and gotten a, gotten a, uh, you know, whatever you write on a parchment or papyrus or clay tablet or whatever it is and written, Dear Elizabeth, here's what happened. Here's what the angel he could have done all of that. There's no indication he did any of that. So to some degree, he's probably still in doubt. He's still wondering, maybe this baby's going to be a girl. Who knows? Maybe, maybe the baby's going to be stillborn. Who knows? Can't really trust God. The baby's born. It's a boy. The mom is about to announce his name is Zzz. And the mother spoke up, no, he is to be called John. And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Nobody has the name. John, what kind of name is John? Zechariah, according to the name, the firstborn son, Zechariah. They made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. To everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. His name is Grace, Graciousness. In verse 64, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. What opens his mouth? Declaring the name of the promise. Opens his mouth. His mouth was opened and his tongue set free. He began to speak, praising God. This is an awesome testimony. Listen to this. His mouth was open and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. So nine months of this built up inside. All the neighbors were filled with awe. All the neighbors in his community were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. 
Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to do? What I love is that in these stories, these four fear stories, especially this one, the Lord turns fear into favor. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and begins to prophesy. Those nine months are a long time to not have a voice. And when he does have a voice, he's like, I got some things to say. He's to prophesy, begins to say this out. Look at verse 76. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. So in, in biblical study, there's always a couple levels of interpretation. The first is the most basic level. What happened in history? And what did it mean to the people that it happened to? So at a very basic level, this is part of the incredible supernatural story of the birth of Jesus. Not only did, did, did God supernaturally raise up Jesus, he also supernaturally raised up prophetic voice to prepare the way for him in that context and in that community. We believe that that actually happened. This is not just metaphor. This is a historical event. Every word in here that was said is historical reality. So we believe that. I think there's also maybe an additional layer of interpretation that I feel like maybe the Spirit wants us to think about, and that's this. I believe that God wants to raise up prophetic sons and daughters of grace to forerun his second coming. First forerunner, a prophet with the name Grace. Grace that leads the way. Who foreran for the first coming of the Son of God. I believe that the Lord wants to raise up another generation of prophetic sons and daughters of grace that will forerun his second coming. You're all looking at me like, what? Second? Y'all know there's a second coming, right? Y'all know that the Jesus that we're reading about and worshiping and studying in human body will return one day soon. That's not news to you, right? We have believed that for 2,000 years. In the same way that he left, said the angel in Acts 1, he will return. He took on a human flesh. He did not take it off. He will forever and ever and ever be human and divine all at the same time. And one day, I'll let Chuck explain all that to you. <laughs> he is not shedding off the human part of him ever again. He will always be a, a human being as well as fully divine. And that human being is going to come back one day, one day very soon. I just, I want the Lord to say to this, to, 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 our, to our church in our nation and in our culture, shake off this spirit of Zechariah. Don't be afraid. Don't disbelieve. Don't 
cast yourself out or disqualify yourself because you think that you are too old, you're not smart enough, you've already been, you've been burned too long, you've already had your chance, whatever it is, God says, hogwash, don't be afraid. I'm doing something new. And I want to birth prophetic sons and daughters through you into the world. I'm convinced that God is saying that to our church. I'm thinking he's saying it to, to many churches. But I know he's saying it to this house that he wants us to raise up prophetic sons and daughters of grace that will forerun for the second coming of the Messiah. I believe that that's what we're called to do. Not just sons and daughters of grace. Son, I wrote this down. Mothers and this is my last line. Jim, y'all can come on up because this is my last line. Of course, you know when a, when a preacher says that, he really doesn't mean literally that's my last line. It just means he's circling the airfield about to land a plane. Mothers and fathers, he wants to supernaturally, supernaturally. So don't think in the natural. Don't think, oh, I don't, I don't have what it takes. I could never, you know, be a, a, a spiritual mother or a father to someone. I could never be a prophetic voice to someone. I could never do this. Forget all of that stuff. This is all supernatural anyway. All God wants is for somebody to be in the right place, to say yes to him and not be afraid. That's it. That's all he wants. All he wants. All he wants of you is just to be in a posture of hearing. And when he speaks to you, say, yes, sir. That's it. He wants to supernaturally raise up prophetic Sons and daughters of, I wrote this down, consecrated grace. That's a big deal. If you say yes, your life will be different. Your life won't look the same. You'll be set apart. You'll be set apart in ways that are not going to be very popular. Not going to be very fun. John's life was difficult. He was hated by people on both sides. He was misunderstood by people on both sides. Ultimately, he would lose his life prematurely. But he also knew that his life was about one purpose, that he can increase. I must decrease. I baptize with water, said John. I have a role to play. One's coming after me. He's going to baptize you with fire. Then you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the graciousness of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. The child grew and became strong in spirit. And he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly in Israel. Father, I just pray that you will accomplish your word. That you will raise up, Lord, churches 
that are strong in spirit. You'll raise up men and women, families, boys and girls, teenagers that are strong in spirit, that are waiting in that place of consecration and intimacy with you. word I do. I want you to to be in agreement with the Holy Spirit. When he says, don't be afraid, there's probably some other emotions that we could fill in as well. Don't be discouraged. Don't be complacent. Don't be distracted. Don't be apathetic. Don't be filled with doubt. Don't be filled with worry. 